certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. A key scientist today defended Pathwest practices, disputing the defence team's contamination theory. It's day 55 of Claremont in Conversation. Thanks for joining us. You're with Natalie, Tim and Alison. And we've heard so much about contamination, but today in court you heard about numbers that really told a different story. Yeah, well, this was the day that Pathwest fought back, I suppose, Nat. I mean, we did go quite hard on them last week, uh, end of last week, um, and from what we've heard, that was that was fair comment. I certainly thought so anyway, in terms of all the contamination events that had occurred over the journey, um, we at least seven in-house, and then the previous sort of blank samples that we'd heard had also been found to be contaminated. But today, Mr. Egan, Scott Egan, was asked um, to defend him, himself and the lab, basically, um, in terms of statistics, uh, in terms of what he termed as, as, as quality um, issues, and he'd been asked to top them up over the 25 years that they've been doing work on this case, which included the Karakata case in '95. Um, and he came up with a number, uh, and then he came up with a percentage, which he said um, showed that they were well within um, the decent um, levels of, of quality control. And in, in the one case study that he used to compare it to, they were actually twice as good as, uh, as, a, as a study that had been done in, in Holland. So, so, yeah, it really was the day that Mr. Egan was, was asked to defend himself and, and the lab, and he did that quite strongly. And um, up until then, though, we were hearing about a lot of other muddles that came through today and prompting a lot of questions from the judge. He was, we were getting more questions from behind the bench or as many as coming in front because he was clarifying and checking and actually correcting and picking up some errors that um, Scott Egan, mind you, has been under scrutiny for the last two, three days. But he was getting years muddled up, dates muddled up, and a couple of times... Um, Justice Hall said, no, hang on, I think you got the year wrong. Is that right? And he's picked him up on quite a few. I, I think probably I've heard more from Justice Hall today than, than quite a few other uh, weeks that we've been, you know, listening to this. He was really full on. I mean, this is extraordinary when you think about the amount of information, the volume of information that, that he is receiving. And then to have this and be able to just He's know. totally on the ball, absolutely picking up dates here and picking up, even to the point where there was, because we've been hearing so much about when did this exhibit go out, when did it come back, did it go away at all, did we lose it, no, it was there all the time. And um, there's been a lot of that going on until one of the questions that um, Justice Hall said, well, was this, did this exhibit get lost or was it there the whole time? Was that a trick question? He's, he said to the prosecutor and she just said, oh, I'm trying to cover every everything. I'm trying to cover all the ground because it, it was a rather unusual question when it wasn't lost. It was actually there the whole time. I found it interesting, um, some of the statistics that you heard today. For instance, Tim, you heard about thousands and thousands of exhibits that were tested. And if you compare that to the amount of errors, it didn't sound so bad. Mm, yeah, well, right towards the end of Mr. Egan's evidence today, he'd been asked to go through in painstaking detail all the stuff that had been done, particularly with the fingernails, 
um, to, to track where they'd been when they were out of the box and out of the freezer and, and, and how they were being tested and where they were being tested, as we've done for weeks and weeks and weeks now. But right at the end of, the, of his evidence today, he was asked pointed questions by Mr. B- uh, Ms. Barbara Gallo, uh, by which they were pointed and they got to the point. And one of those was, over the 25 years, how many, how many interactions, actions, analyses of exhibits um, have Pathways done on Claremont exhibits, which include the, now include the Karakata exhibits. He said 17,000 that he could find analyses. Now, that's not 17,000 different exhibits, but that's actions with exhibits, uh, receiving them, um, extracting them, analysing them, running them again. So 17,000 things that they've done over the years, over the 25 years. And he said, applying the quality control measures, which also include typographical errors, labelling errors, and obviously contaminations. He said they found 28 in those 17,000 um, bits and pieces that they've done. And, and, if you, and if you run the maths on that, which even I could probably do, he said that came up to about 0.16% of everything they've done has come up a little bit short. And then they can, and then he brought up himself a study that had been done in the Netherlands Forensic Institute over there in, in Europe, that they'd done a similar study of a similar size sample base in 2004 of work that they'd done, and they came up with an error rate themselves of 0.3%, which, uh, when you compare it to the Path West figures that they've come up with, is about half. So, you're right, we went really hard, and quite rightly so, at the end of last week with those seven... Um, contamination events, including the one involving a completely separate case, we we discussed with Damien on Friday whether you know this was going to be creating the reasonable doubt in the judge's mind, and the prosecution have gone on the front foot today and tried to counteract that with these um, with these statistics, and uh, it was it, it it was pointed as I said, and and it was it was pretty hard nosed by Mr. Egan that he that he did, wanted to defend the work that him and his staff had done and and I'm sure it would have um, it would have caught caught the caught the attention of the judge not that he needs uh, his attention caught because his attention is always there having said that we don't know um, in those comparison figures how vital or crucial the errors were because these were fairly telling when you've got seven events where contamination took place right at the very heart of this very very highly profiled murder case um, these the stories that we ran last week on these um, contaminated incidents um, I think probably really go to the heart of the defense's case yeah I mean I guess what we're seeing now is we really are seeing Carmel Barbagallo um, starting to pick apart the defense argument well, well yes. yes. I'm certainly anticipating it and certainly trying to put in some defensive blocks to it um, before that defence has even been properly raised mm. by some pros. But, but yeah, I mean, all the way along, as you said a couple of weeks ago, she's guessing as to what they're getting at, but, I mean, she's got a pretty good idea by now. Um, and her questions to Mr Egan went right to the, to, to the bullseye, right to the heart of that today to try and, um, to try and um, uh, as I say, counteract it and... Um, and, and get her, um, get the prosecution um, on the front foot again. What did Scott Egan have to say about the crucial nail samples and the possibility of those being contaminated um, with Bradley Edwards' DNA? 
Yeah, well, that was that was the other major part of the end of Mr. Egan's um, evidence in chief this morning or this afternoon, whereby she tabulated where Mr. Edwards's DNA samples um, came in, came out of the box, went back into the box, and where they were at all times, and cross-referenced that with AJM42. She didn't use AJM40 because it's been established that that had never been opened but from the time it came into the lab in 96 to the time it went to the UK in 2008. So she felt safe enough to leave that out. But AJM42, which is the other nail sample, which was combined with 40, which then produced the crucial DNA result, that's the one that was opened, that had been tested, that was analysed at various times. And so she went as far as to produce not one, but three graphical representations of where the, both those exhibits were in comparison to each other and the timeline of them, and then asked Mr. Egan the, the question that we've been waiting for someone to be asked for months, is there any possible way you can see that one could contaminate the other? And Mr. Egan's quite blunt answer was, I can't see any viable opportunity or possibility that Mr. Edwards's samples and Ms. Glennon's fingernail samples could have come into contact with, the, with one another because they were in a different box, on a different shelf. They were out of the box and out of the freezer at different times, months and sometimes years apart. And that is where they say the contamination could not have occurred. And Ms. Barbagallo, one of her questions today went as far as to say it was fanciful that that, that um, uh, theory could even be raised. So how um, did he explain the um, female victim from another crime getting mixed up and also the DNA from the fellow who handed in the knife? Well, that's, that's where Mr Jovic will no doubt go tomorrow, Ali, I, I would suggest in his cross-examination because he will no doubt say, well, you can say all that. You can say, you can point to me the boxes and the, and the, and the, the, the times and the dates and the diaries, but... It, there was, there's no getting away from the fact that certainly on on the uh, on the um, the sample from of the, the unrelated victim yeah. um, that wasn't supposed to fly out of a box or fly out of a tube either. So um, no doubt we will hear more about that today and be taken um, right right into that argument again tomorrow. Yeah, that'll be very interesting because, you know, um, that's the one, uh, the other thing that we are waiting for is to find out these very specific details about how there could be contamination. But really what he was saying today is there was no opportunity. From what he could tell from this timeline, there was no opportunity for this to happen. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly. He said there was about a year apart, that. yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm. well, so uh, uh, in specific dates, um, the, Mr. Edwards's um, DNA came in at, at one time and Kira's came in at another. There was about a 13-month difference between those. And then when they were tested again, there was uh, Mr. Edwards's um, DNA came out in 99, I think. And then um, in uh, the AGM-42 wasn't uh, brought out again until 2004 when it went over to New Zealand. So that's five years between those. Um, and that was what Mr. Egan, through Ms. Barbagala's questions, was, was very keen to get on the record, is that um, as much as you can point to these other ones, in this particular instance, which we say is the important one, um, you can't show us anywhere 
or there isn't does not appear to be anywhere um, an opportunity for those two to come into contact with each other those two exhibits and I was very interested today, um, Carmel Barbagallo questioned Scott Egan about Kira's own DNA mm. and its presence or lack of presence mm. on her clothing and on her body. Yeah. What was that about? Well, there was quite a few instances where there was no DNA from either the victim or anyone else and none on her clothing. And um, we, of course, they're relying purely on those fingernail clippings as far as um, Bradley Robert Edwards goes. And was he asked to explain that? Because I guess that's quite perplexing to people if you've got, for instance, a, a blood-soaked top. Um, it's quite perplexing that there would be no evidence of DNA. Was he asked to explain that, Tim? Mm, yeah, well, that was the one that stood out to me now as well. Um, AGM 33 is the exhibit number. We know it as the T-shirt that Kira was wearing on the night she disappeared and then she was found still wearing when her body was discovered and apparently to the naked eye um, and certainly on on Karen Margolius the post uh, the pathologist's account seemed to be soaked in blood but when it was tested um, for uh, or, or when samples of it were later tested for DNA no DNA at all was found no. on here including mm. Kira's mm. Uh, Mr Egan was asked to explain that and the way he explained it was the biology um, yeah, biological matter might well have been on there, but it would have degraded to such a, a, a state through various um, weather, UV light, um, decomposition, and um, just time exposed to the elements that the DNA on there might have degraded to such a degree that not even Kira's um, DNA was able to be reportably uh, found when those samples were taken. And we've had many, many questions through the email to the podcast about why isn't it um, that Mr. Edwards's DNA can't be found on or, or, or couldn't be found or should it not be found on, on either of the victims, um, uh, particularly uh, when intimate swabs were taken, if sexual motive was, was indeed the motive. Um, but this goes to show that it's not only a, an alleged attacker's DNA that might degrade, it's the actual person themselves who'd been wearing that T-shirt for that whole evening. Um, I'd obviously you know, been out with friends, enjoyed an evening out, so there was, there's no doubt that it's her, <laughs> it's her T-shirt, but for whatever reason, the DNA couldn't come back strong enough to show it was hers. There seemed to be an awful lot of ex um, examples too that weren't even tested. Uh, it, it just discovered that wasn't tested. That wasn't tested as we went through them all one by one. Um, apart from her clothes, that's just a, a visual examination that they decided. We didn't hear much more about that. Mm. And AJM forty was obviously one of those, Ali, um, yeah. which is actually now proving a boon to the prosecution because they can say, "Well, look, it never came out of the box, so how mm. could it possibly be, be uh, possibly have been contaminated?" Ali, did you feel today's testimony did anything to patch up Pat's West's reputation? I'm glad the um, last bit came out. came out very late in the day when he mm. did um, explain the um, very, very small percentage of errors compared to the size yeah. of the case. But again, um, just up until then, it didn't really fill me with confidence that things at Pat's West were going all that well. And I know there have been shortcuts taken that we've found about since. But we, again, we're talking about 
a very serious tragedy, the highest profile hunt for a killer in this state. And and although there's some of these errors, we're still talking about just not a a normal or uh, process, but again, hunting for this state's worst serial killer. Um, That was what I found puzzling about some of the way they they did things at Pathwest. Tim, um, how do you feel that the prosecution case went today? Do you feel that they sort of came back and dealt a blow today after what was a really, really terrible week for them last week? Yeah, whether I mean this, it was was, they were the questions they needed to ask of themselves to get on the front foot. I think before the cross examination of Mr. Egan begins tomorrow, Um, and it it felt like um, a little bit last week. Yes, it it was. It was. There was. It was no doubt. It was embarrassing, but it was all all, almost a a purging, if you like, uh, to get get it out of off your chest before someone confronts you with it all because they knew it was coming they've obviously known it was coming for some time probably since mr yovis's opening statement when he raised it as a possible issue um so yeah look, it was as i say it felt like a, a defense of their work um and probably one they they needed to make and probably one that that they they thought was was fair in the in the context of all the criticism that's that's been coming their way through outside sources and and you know in in court as well so yeah was it a positive day yeah i I suppose so when you can get on the front foot and right at the heart of the case obviously is the the point ali made right at the end there and and what the point vegan made was what are the chat what what were the actual possibilities of these fingernails to become contaminated? And at the end of the day, that is what—that is the main thing that Justice Hall will be will be looking at when it when it comes to the end of it. Because if that is the only, they are the only opportunities, and he can't see any 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 other possibility other than Mr. Edwards having left that DNA during an attack rather than it happening in the lab. Then that goes a long way. Um, to the prosecution um, proving their case. So, yeah, tomorrow will be interesting because Mr Jovic will get back up and um, get himself back off the ropes and, and come out swinging again, no doubt. And um, it'll be interesting to see what Mr Egan um, comes up with in uh, in an- another defence, I suppose, if he has to make one of of, of the um, of the processes at Path, Path West if they are if they are put to him in negative terms. Yeah, well, you know, as you said, coming off the ropes, it does really feel like they're in the ring now and mm. it is a um, a tough fight. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just that that little word that Miss Barbara Gallo threw in in one of her questions, you know, the, the, the fanciful notion that this this um, this contamination might have occurred at Path West, um, that, that spoke volumes to me. She's um, she's she's not she's certainly not going to uh, not going to take the criticism of Pathwest lying down because it is proving Pathwest was, was up to the job, particularly in, 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 in the, the way they stored um, the fingernail samples and then the way they transported them. Um, that, is, that is really crucial to her case. Well, thank you both for your time today and thanks everyone for your feedback. We do read every email you send to us and we do try to answer those questions in this podcast. You can contact us at claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au. We'll be back tomorrow for day 56. Chat then. 
This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.